Hello everyone, and this is Kat, and I'm the host of the Ocean Pancake Podcast, and today I have a super exciting episode ready for you, and it is a conversation with my friend Scott Wallace. Scott Wallace and I have known each other for a long while now, but we have kind of simultaneously gone on the journey of conservation, veganism, and trying to protect our oceans. So this interview is really just me chatting with one of my good friends. Now, just because of the length and how distracted we got in terms of chatting, I decided to cut this episode into two parts. So this first part is going to be about Scott's experience with Sea Shepherd. Uh, And this interview actually took place before he went on the last campaign that the Steve Irwin went on before it got decommissioned. So yeah, Scott is absolutely incredible and I hope you guys learn a lot for him and hopefully get inspired to get into the ocean and help uh, Sea Shepherd and just join the movement. So yeah, here goes. Every day there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. All right, so welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I'm here with Scott Wallace, which is one of my oldest friends in Australia. And he has recently, well, the past three years, become an epic ocean vegan activist and has been sharing his love of you know nature and the environment and animals uh, with people. So thank you so much for being here, Scott. Hello, hello. Thanks, Kat. <laughs> no worries. Um, so let's just kind of get started with a little bit of your background. So you studied marine biology. Why did you choose that? Yeah, so I studied a Bachelor of Science at uh, Griffith University on the Gold Coast and majored in marine biology and ecotourism. Um, the lead up to that i spent a lot of time in and around the ocean as i was growing up so my family always lived on the coast and so a lot of time swimming and snorkeling and at the time you know plenty of fishing uh and as i got older you know a bit more hunting and gathering and you know uh, collecting from from the ocean uh, treats and shells and uh wildlife as well um so i've had a deep connection a deep affinity to the ocean um, it's a life force for this planet. And so there's just a natural awe and wonder about it. And that curiosity meant that I spent a lot of time exploring as much as I can with it. As I got older, coming through high school, I went to a high school which had one of the only marine studies subjects in the whole city, which was quite good. And so I spent a few years doing marine studies at high school and then I uh, eventually enrolled into a science degree with a bit of guidance from my de facto grandfather at the time who said, hey, science, I reckon you really enjoy this. It's your vibe. So I followed his advice. And um, yeah, it was an excellent, an excellent choice. And yeah, it's been absolutely wonderful, um, you know, so far and been a great journey 
going down this path of conservation and environmental science. Yeah, so we actually met about four or five years ago. Um, I had already become an instructor and Scott was doing his rescue course about to be a dive master. You're kind of in that, I believe so. yeah. that zone of time. Yeah. So yeah, so we really got together because of our love of the ocean and we did some diving together. Unfortunately, not as much as I would have liked. Um, never but, enough. Yeah, never enough. But mostly on the Gold Coast. I do remember both of us at that time were talking about spearfishing, which is quite funny to think about. Um, yeah. Did you spearfish a lot? Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of fishing. Um, at times I'd have a gidgey, like a little hand spear and, you know, whether it was octopus or trying to catch fish underwater like that when I was younger. Um, but a shit ton of fishing. Um, the, the communities where I grew up with and the people I was surrounded with, you know, uh, revolved around fishing, um, and that form of, uh, exploiting the oceans. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of wonderful experiences of doing that um, in the past. But, you know, reflecting upon this stuff, there's a lot of insight that I'm looking forward to sharing later on. Oh, definitely. So after doing your undergraduate in, um, in, in the marine science, you kind of became more involved in various conservation things. So could you tell us yeah. a little bit more about um, what conservation projects you took part in and how you found them? Definitely, definitely. So... I think what I found is, especially within the environmental science field, biology, ecology, there's an imperative that we seek out opportunities to develop ourselves professionally, personally. Um, within this space, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And so networking and volunteering was an absolutely crucial aspect to developing myself. And so throughout my undergrad, you know, there was lots of... Um, hours spent volunteering but some of the most notable projects that i've been involved with uh, there was a group called wild mob and they're a conservation group based on the east coast of australia and they do a variety of terrestrial marine um, conservation projects where they get volunteers on board from all around the country they do you know two three four five day trips to the reef um, to do, you know, marine debris, to do birding, to what else? Do wallaby tagging, you know, weed, um, weed gathering. So I did a few trips with Wild Mob um, a few years ago. And following my honours, um, I took a, a year off and did a bit of travelling and went to South Africa because I wanted to play with some sharkies over there. <laughs> And so there's a wonderful, oh yeah, um, there's a wonderful group called South African Shark Conservancy, SASC, and they're based in a town called Hermanus, which is about an hour or so from Cape Town. And I spent two months over in South Africa and I did an advanced elasmobranc field ecology course. So what that means in basic terms is elasmobranchs are like all your stingrays, all your sharks and skates. They're all these cousins. Um, but essentially it focused around hanging out with sharks and we did um, underwater uh, diving and snorkeling to grab sharks to then tag them underwater, which is really, really cool. Wow. Um, lots of fishing to catch sharks to tag them. Um, brav work, uh, genetics, like, a really solid comprehensive program that was very well priced. Um, 
So yeah, South African Shark Conservancy was an absolutely wonderful experience. Plenty of times with the great white sharks, cage diving at the time. Um, and then upon returning from South Africa, uh, the Brisbane chapter for Sea Shepherd that I was involved with, um, I got in touch because I was doing a big cull of volunteers because a lot of people just jump on and then don't do much. Mm. Um, but fortunately, I got in touch and saw that I'd spent some time in South Africa with the sharks. And they said, you know, there's a couple of opportunities um, upcoming. Would I like to be involved? And so leading from that, um, I got pretty involved with Sea Shepherd upon my return from South Africa. I volunteered with Sea Shepherd for years before that, but I wasn't very active. I just did a few market stalls, a couple of fundraisers. Um, but upon my return, we had a, a shark spotters trial, mm -hmm. uh, which was down in Byron Bay on the East Coast. Um, we do have this massive destructive uh, shark nets and drum lines uh, throughout the waters of Australia, which kill marine life indiscriminately. And so the idea was to look at non-lethal alternatives for addressing shark interactions with humans. And so we did a trial down at Watergo's Beach and it's called a shark spotters program, which was actually developed back in South Africa, yeah. um, where we have a, a lookout on a high uh, in a ridge or mountain looking down to the water and you can see a three, four, five meter fish cruising through. Um, yeah. yeah. And so the idea with this program was to show that we can see sharks. We can then notify people, uh, you know, the, the person down on the beach to put up a flag or some yeah. form of alarm system and get the shark nets out. So yeah, that was a, an, an interesting time to get involved with Sea Shepherd a few years ago and a lot's kicked off um, with Sea Shepherd since then. Yeah, because South Africa has been using this system for many years now quite successfully with the flags. The the big benefit that South Africa has in comparison to the coast um, in Australia where, where we lived is they have the big cliffs and the really high points um, as opposed to uh, some of the arguments on the Gold Coast have been, you know, we don't have these points to look out for the sharks. Therefore, we need the shark nets, we need the culling, we need the baited hooks. For those of you guys who don't know, um, in, in Australia, there was this big hysteria, especially after the whole Jaws movie was released, where thousands and thousands of sharks were culled uh, and killed by spear fishermen, by just divers, because they would uh, you know, go in and see these gray nurse sharks, particularly, which are completely harmless, but because they look kind of scary, I'll insert a photo, <laughs> and um, they cruise really slowly, they became a very easy target. So the population decreased um, down to something like 3,000 individuals from a very healthy population before. Uh, so ever since then, they've become protected, and now you know they're trying their best to bring the population back up. But still, to this day, um, I think you know much better in terms of the numbers of the shark nets and yeah. the shark culling Western Australia, the East Coast, it's still happening right now and it's not helpful. Um, could you just describe what a shark net is for those people who, who don't know? No. It's unstable. Okay, I'll get that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> since so in the 60s, they, they put the shark nets in because the Queen was coming to Queensland. Um, and since the 60s, they've caught over like 55,000 sharks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them endangered and threatened. Um, obviously, all their lives are important, but you know, if you want to go down that path, endangered and threatened sharks. Yeah. Um, and like over 30,000 other marine life. So what? Dolphins, whales, turtles, rays. It's all, uh, you know, killing indiscriminately so much wildlife for yeah. very little um, efficiency. But basically, <laughs> no gain as well. Um, I'll insert a photo of what a shark net is as well, but it's not what many people imagine, which is a whole barrier going across a beach or something. It's actually just a sort of little flag thing, which just hangs a couple of meters below the surface, a couple of meters above the uh, bottom of the ocean. And it's what, 12 meters long or something? So it's literally this just net in the middle of the ocean where any, any animal can get stuck in. And then yeah. uh, Sea Shepherd is not actually allowed to intervene and get them out, even if they're rays, even if they're turtles. And they just have to watch um, these animals die. So there's quite a few photos. And again, uh, all the links to this stuff will be down below. Or yeah. if you're watching the video, hey guys, here are the photos yeah. of um, kind of some of the atrocities that Sea Shepherd see when they go um, yeah. check out. So just in, just in terms of those nets, on the, in, in Queensland, they're 183, 84, 183 centimeters, sorry, meters long. Oh, yeah. um, and between four, six, eight meters deep um or sort of depth but they sit in a dozen meters of water so it's they just like a little tennis court they really don't work too well and the campaign that i've been involved with is operation apex harmony so this the monitoring of these drum lines um we're out there to document and bear witness to what's actually being caught on the drum lines and so it's a very political campaign because we're trying to get governments and councils to remove these, uh, you know, these destructive nets. Um, you know, globally, there's so many threats to sharks, you know, largely through finning, direct target fishing, overfishing, you know, bycatch, so many threats to our oceans in general. So I'm going to cut this shit out. Yeah, we, we don't need more of this stuff. And no, clearly no. there's six, six fatal shark attacks on humans while... <sighs> What, what is the number? 150,000 an hour? I'm not quite sure. I, um... So I think the last few years, it's been less than a dozen uh, shark attacks globally per year, mm-hmm. roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kill 11,000 sharks an hour. Yeah. Wow. So that's insane. And, and just for reference, coconuts kill more people than shark attacks do. Just, just saying. And hippopotamuses and horses and cows, vending machines, <laughs> everything. everything. Uh, yeah. um, and since we're both divers, you know, we've both dived with sharks quite a few times. Oh, actually, before we completely go to the next topic, um, what you were describing that you're doing in South Africa, which is actually diving down and tagging the sharks, mm. which, which species of sharks were you doing? Do you have some footage of this? This is so exciting. I haven't even heard I about do. this, guys. I think I do. <laughs> I, think, I think I do have some footage somewhere. Um, so what we were working with were mainly endemic small sharks. Mm-hmm. So shy sharks, cat sharks, um, or I think it's a... It's called a leopard. The zebra leopard. They... Zebra leopard, I believe. 
different it's not countries just, call them different yeah, names. So yeah, it's, so it's a leopard shark in South Africa. It's small, um, and so they're easy to grab somewhat. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a couple of dives where just hanging out on the water in the kelp and the cold as water <laughs> and trying to find sharks. So um, very cool experience. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, you guys don't try this at home. Please don't grab sharks if you're out there diving <laughs> in general. Don't go touching any sea life unless... Wear gloves. <laughs> wear gloves for sure. But unless you get onto some of these conservation um, yeah, kind of projects and stuff. And I would yeah, love to was... go to South Africa and check it out. Well, I'm going to be near, nearby now. So maybe I'll, yeah. I'll have the opportunity to... Cat's going to Africa. Yeah, literally, literally in what? In... 12 hours, my flight leaves in 12 hours. So it's crack up. <laughs> couldn't be exciting. Um, all right. Um, so you already touched upon a little bit about Sea Shepherd, but I think most people know Sea Shepherd is one of the biggest kind of um, hardcore conservation groups out there in the world. Um, how can people get involved if they want to? Because um, of course, everyone wants to get on that boat, but it is a very long yeah. process before uh, you actually get invited yeah. on um, to the hardcore stuff really yeah well I, I really like sea shepherd are considered extreme in some senses because we do things hmm. like we, we live in a world where there's a lot of banner holding and like just get in there and get shit done so yeah. sea shepherd's ethos is, you know <laughs> yeah. so it's just about sea shepherd focus on direct action marine conservation where they pull resources and volunteers and ships and finances into campaigns where they know there's going to be a profound effect. They're going to be able to tackle illegal unregulated fishing or, you know, they're currently working on illegal fishing and human rights issues in Africa and Tanzania. Um, so their, their, their mission statement is to look after all marine life and ecosystems, big and small. And so their approach um, is built upon volunteers. They're, it's built upon the passion and effort and time and energy and skills of people. Um, sea Shepherd is made up of passionate people. And so there are chapters all across the world. Um, and I'd say for people that are interested in jumping on board with Sea Shepherd, one, you know, depending on the level of involvement you want to jump on at, it could be donations, uh, monthly donations, buying some merch. So much of Sea Shepherd's campaigns is, is able to occur through merchandise. Yeah, get a sticker, get a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, really, really cool stuff. Um, it's, yeah, they need support from everywhere. Um, so join a chapter, start your own chapter. Um, how else? Yeah, just share share the work that Sea Shepherd are doing and promote what's going on. Um, sea Shepherd are in the business of going out of business. Sea Shepherd don't want to be around, uh, you know, forever. We want to create a culture and a planet where we don't need to be out there enforcing laws where countries aren't enforcing them. They lack resources or whatever it is. Um, one of my big um, drivers to explore more with Sea Shepherd and be uh, um, on, on board with them is their integrity in terms of their actions and their beliefs and their values. Mm -hmm. um, 
Sea Shepherd's campaigns are all vegan. And so their approach is we want to protect the oceans. Yes. But if we, if we're aware that I've seen estimates between a third to like 40% of all the fish caught in the ocean is actually ground up and then turned into livestock feed. Mm -hmm. So if we want to protect, wanting to protect the oceans, even eating land-based animal flesh is going to be eating the oceans as well. And so, yeah. Um, And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll chat about it uh, shortly, but that alignment um, with doing as much as we can. And that's one of the standout features I feel Sea Shepherd has is not being out on the oceans, eating marine life when you're trying to protect marine life. It seems simple, but these are thoughts I haven't had, you know, for many, many years until recently. Yeah, no, especially coming as divers, as people growing up around the ocean. Well, for you, for me, it was, um, you know, I always loved meat and I loved seafood. I remember the first time I read that Sea Shepherd was vegan uh, or like all the campaigns on their boats and everything. Yeah. They only cooked vegan food. I remember just yeah. being almost shocked and taking, taken aback. Like, why? Like, veganism is so extreme. It's so bizarre. <laughs> Yeah. Like, why is this a thing? Um, and it really took me several years to like make the connection. Cause I came to Australia in 2012, started to kind of get involved with Sea Shepherd a little bit back then. And not until two years ago, did it make sense? Like, well, obviously if you're going to be on the ocean trying to protect marine life, how can you eat it? So that was part one of this two-part episode with Scott Wallace. Next week's episode is going to be covering some other fantastic topics and it's going to be mostly veganism and how Scott, who used to spearfish and fish a lot, as well as myself, how we transitioned away from this more, you know, omnivore western type diet culture into veganism and how the ocean benefits, how our planet benefits, how the animals benefit, and of course, how our health benefits. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you'll tune in for next week to learn more fantastic stuff from Scott. So again, if you want to check him out, Scott Wallace on all the social medias, check it down below. And of course, leave any questions you may have. Love hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week and I'll talk to you soon.